You are listening to the Heavenly Chi podcast, episode number 54. Today, our guests Sahail Fazem and Hamish Reed are here to discuss the importance of mindset in business. Hey everybody, I'm Claire Pyers and today we're talking with Sahail Fazam and Hamish Reed. Hi, hi Claire, guys. hi listeners. Hi Claire, thanks a lot for having us on, great to be here. Absolutely, thank you so much for having us. It's great to have you both on the show and today we're talking about the mindset of how practitioners can succeed in business. The Heavenly Chi podcast is produced for your enjoyment and professional development. Show notes and continuing professional development resources are found at www.heavenlychipodcast.com. You can add Heavenly Chi podcast to your favourite RSS feed, iTunes or Stitcher. You can also follow us on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. We hope you enjoy today's episode and if you're really enjoying our show, we'd love you to please rate us on iTunes. Okay, so it's great to have you both on the show today and um, this is a really exciting topic for me and a, and a topic that I feel very very strongly about, very passionately about mm. and I know that the both of you do as well and and the, just the idea of, you know, talking about the mindset of how how it is that some practitioners can do so well and they can succeed in, in clinic and how other practitioners, they just don't ever really quite get there. They kind of always feel like they're struggling. They never feel like they're, they're, they're going to make it or that they, you know, that there's some kind of barrier. And I think, I think people do feel aware of this barrier, but I think it's a really important topic and I'm really glad that you guys are here um, to help unpack this idea. Yeah, so, um, so who wants to start off? You know, what... Why, how did you guys get to, because I know you guys present seminars on this in Australia and have, yeah. have done for, for many years. So how did you guys start off? Yeah, look, I, I might just um, start at that. So, Tay, I, I, one of the things, because Sahal and I are both lecturers and, and one of the reasons why we decided to, to try and educate practitioners about uh, the business building and the practice building side of things is that we see from, from first year to fourth year, students you know, come up through the ranks and, and gain so much technical knowledge and knowledge in TCM. And we think, you know, we'd identify those people and say, you guys are going to be such good practitioners. But then after fourth year, a couple, couple of years later, we might bump into them and um, they're not doing acupuncture or they're not practicing anymore. They're, they're doing something else or they're just doing a, another job because they, uh, they had all the skills in the world, but they didn't have the, the business building skills and, and um, you know, the, the skills to, to run a business and get clients in. So, we made a decision to to try and educate practitioners as much as we could about the the importance and techniques to actually running the business side of TCM as well. Yeah, it's so it's so true. You know, it's not necessarily the world's greatest acupuncturist or the the world's greatest Chinese herbalist that's going to become a successful business person. And I think that's Absolutely. you know it's an important um, important distinction to make that succeeding in business is not necessarily related at all to your technical expertise as a practitioner. Absolutely. It's a separate skill in and of itself. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. I mean, they, say, they say the most important skill on the planet is being able to get clients through the door um, and that far surpasses any other technical skill that you have as well. Yeah, yeah. 
Sorry, Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say just on top of that for Carnegie Institute in America did a study on this and realized that only 15% of your success is actually based on your technical ability and 85% is your relationship ability. So unfortunately, uh, you know, many people who have some sort of emotional, you know, imbalances uh, unable to understand themselves, which means they're not going to be able to understand clients and different personality traits. So not being able to build rapport quickly and effectively and efficiently and then sustain that rapport. So it's really based on building a thorough relationship. And uh, that's what most people invest in because, you know, we all know practitioners who may be not as good or maybe not as trained as we are who might be doing really well, maybe because they've got really good skills in building a client relationship. That's, you know, I think that's really important. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of your insights about relating with patients and um, you've, you know, you've got some really great resources that you've um, that you've shared over the years with with practitioners exactly on this topic. You know, the different yeah. types of, you know, the different types of people, and you know, the ways in which you can interact with them in order to yes. help your help you to get your message across to your patient and to so that they can hear what you're saying and they can understand what you're saying and you're kind of not coming up against their, you know, you're not unknowingly pushing their buttons, you know, which can happen. <laughs> um, and I guess, well, it, you exactly. know, it, it, um, it reminds me a little bit, you know, a lot of people become quite interested in five element acupuncture, you know, partly for this reason, because it does teach you about the different types of people from a five element point of view and the ways mm. in which you can change your your tone or your posturing or the type of language that you use to be able to connect with, you know, certain element types. Do you guys use that type of approach or use that type of thinking in in the way that you practice or in how you teach your seminars? Uh, look, myself personally, I, I do take that um, into consideration because I have also done a bit of training with the five elements. Um, I don't particularly use the style of the personality traits in the five element phase and form, uh, but I do take that into consideration because it is a very clear way of understanding that. Um, the, the common model that I sort of tend to follow is the, the model that was, you know, from early times, 1927, I think, was William Marsden, who was the founder of the lie detector who discovered the DISC model. Um, and that has got about an 87% probability of, uh, you know, determining the personality traits. So I use it more along the lines of the psychological concept. Uh, but look, by all means, the, the five element one is also just as effective. I just think that people should have an understanding of it because it is a big deal. And just a quick example as to how I got onto it myself. It was actually with Hamish. I was filling in for half a day a long time ago. And one of his clients was actually a you know pretty high, high up there corporate CEO. And he came in the room. And I had the file from you know the week before that Hamish was treating. And as I opened up my mouth to even ask him some questions, he just said, he just shut me up and he just said, look, just do what Hamish does. And I said, sir, I need to ask you some mm -hmm. questions. I was a very young practitioner. And he goes, no, no, I've got no time for this. Just do what Hamish does. You've got the you know folder in front of you. You've got the points. And I had I didn't have to handle that. So I just did what Hamish done. And then he left <laughs> after the treatment. He got out of the room and he just sort of looked back and he said, I'll just fix it up with Hamish. So he didn't even pay, he just left. And it was that moment I thought, okay, well, I can have a panic attack about this, which I did. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, wow. That's, that's brutal. That just sounds awful. 
what yeah, it is. And then and then I realized, um, well, I kind of have an unrealistic expectation on my clients to not be like that for the rest of my career. So I'm bound to track that again. So I, the difference was I just wanted to learn more about it um, so that if it comes up again, I might be able to better handle it. And that's how I got into it personally because I didn't want to have that feeling of anxiety or panic when when this situation will come up. And, you know, in business, we would always get uh, different personalities that is not really aligned to us. So we can either sort of push them away and say, look, I don't want to deal with you. You're not ideal. Or I might be able to understand you and relate to you better. So that's how I, I got into it myself. I think it's very, very important in business, uh, very critical in developing and sustaining client uh, relationships. I'm curious, if you had your time over, mm. how would you... How would you deal with that with that scenario now? Well, I mean, one one aspect of that particular personality uh, who happens to be the dominant driver, one of the things these people like is uh, they're very time focused, they're very results driven, and they don't actually need to hear about you know the yin and yang theory and the zhang fu and the chi and the blood. They just mm -hmm. need to focus on one thing. They just want to know: can you help me? Yes or no? And they're not concerned about theories and things like that. They just look: my back hurts help me yes or no so you got to focus on their time you got to give them direct answers you got to give them at least two and two multiple choice so they can just choose one or two they don't want complicated stuff and actually the most basic thing they need these type of personalities they actually need more of the uh the ego part of their personality fed so you know they might come and just take over your conversation and say things like yeah look mate i've heard this stuff before look yeah and i've done this stuff or look i've had acmachi before and you know just saying something along the lines of Oh man, you've actually done your homework. You've done this stuff before. Like, you know, just just a comment like that is enough to sort of bring the intensity down. So give them that sort of respect. And once they have they have earned your respect, then you can sort of take your time with them and then show them some other stuff, you know, diagrams, whatever you need to do. But it's just time and results and solutions. It's all it's the three top things that driver personality would handle. So if I knew that then and there, I would be able to better handle it. But I was in the impression of, oh no, but I need to talk to you about, you know, yin and yang and, and what happened to the chi and, and the pole. I'm going to ask tongue. you the 10,000 questions. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it's just that they just don't have time for that. And it's fair enough because uh, they, they are a certain way and we just need to appreciate that. Now, one of the challenges I get talking about this in business and seminars is people often say, well, Sahal, do you, are you saying I have to change who I am for someone else? And I go, actually, you do because you have an ethical moral obligation to serve your clients to the best of your ability and that means you need to learn how to handle them so it's not a permanent thing it's just that you need to change the way you can build engagement and interact with that particular client type so that they can get more information you can get more information out of them and they can actually share more with you as well so i think it's an ethical and moral obligation for us to be able to do that well i think that's a good point you know Changing your behaviour doesn't change who you are. No, you know? that's and we, right. And and we can learn to adapt our behaviour to, you know, to it, it's almost becomes a therapeutic tool. You know, if you can't develop a connection on a certain level with a with a patient, then you know you're limiting your ability to get results. So in 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 many ways, I think the ways in which we interact with our patients is part of our toolkit. Yeah. yeah, and look, yeah. And just the basic statistics of, uh, you know, if you're a particular type of personality, uh, most people as a default attract that type. So 
at the end of the day, you go home, you've actually been dealing up until this day, if you don't really have much knowledge on personality traits, you're really dealing with about 25% of the market. And those 25% of the market is you you're basically dealing with yourself. That means you're missing out on 75% of potential ideal clients that you can help, but you can't if you don't know how to you know, handle and interact out of discomfort. So you won't attract them in the first place. So I think it's really, really important because if you have a particular message you want to share for the world, you want to you know, you believe in your ability to heal. Well, you know, that inquires, uh, that requires people outside of your own personality as well, not just yourself. You know, it's interesting. Um, I'm just reflecting on, on what you're saying and thinking back over the years of the various challenging um, patient encounters that I've had just in terms yeah. of you know, personality and, and, and just that overall interaction. And, and definitely I think that you know, with time and because I've spent a lot of time and effort and um, on my own personal development, I think that's yep. made, you know, it's helped to make it easier with time. You yeah, know, absolutely. Back, back in my, you know, sec first and second, even even five years out of of school, um, you know, the certain people would come in and you know, there's really dominating, challenging people and I would just be cowering <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, and not knowing what to say, whereas now I'm like, hey, bring your A game. If you're going to come in and be all aggressive <laughs> and and, um, and spiky, then I will match you with aggressive and spiky and, um, and then, <laughs> you know, because often you need to do that just to try and so that you can then help to kind of steer the energy in a different way. Exactly. That's that's exactly right. And use the key word there. You said you had some personal development and that's what it is. And I think that's what's lacking, which is why Hamish and I did this in the first place, the turbocharge, because mm. most uh, individuals, unfortunately, and this is also for non-healthcare because I do a lot of work with corporations, non-healthcare sectors, and personal development is a very big area of, that's missing in, in the community. So, you know, if you increase your personal development self self-development that's where your fortune is and that fortune is not just financial that fortune is building clients that will be you know in a place to actually want to be inspired to work with you and you'll be in place of inspiration to work with them yeah sorry Hamish. can i just add to what um you and Sahar were saying about and, and you were saying about the you know connection with the with the client and and one um one really easy way that I've found to connect with every single client now, no matter what personality type they are, is that, as you know, in in uh, in business and when people book in to see you, yes, they're sort of, you know, they're booking in for acupuncture, but acupuncture is not really what they want. Moving chain blood's not really what they want. Every single client that books in, like the whole set, is after a solution to a problem that they have. And as long as you can tap into that solution, no matter what the personality type, uh, you'll build an unbelievable rapport and connection with that person. So for an example, you know, and, and we use the example in turbocharging, we say like the football players um, torn their hamstring and they come to you and so they might be quite a, um, quite a sort of a, you know, a strong personality type or an intimidating personality type. But when they come to see you, I mean, we could get stuck in the explanation as a, a chi in blood and yeah, tonifying liver blood and things like that. But the solution they really want is really just to be able to get back on the football field quicker. And so everything I find, everything that you say to them should be centered around that. So look, I like to explain a lot about what I'm doing in treatment. So I might uh, get the patient on the table and I'll, as I'm doing the points, I'll say, 
this is spleen three, this is going to quantify the spleen, so it'll help you make more blood. And that's all good, well and good for them, but they've got the opportunity to say, well, that's great, but, but so what? And this is liver eight, this will nourish the liver blood and lubricate your muscles. And again, so what? But if I can follow that up with going, and that's going to get you back on the football field quicker, or that's going to really help lubricate your muscles so you can play a better game. I feel that's the solution that they want. And straight away, they've got that connection and, and they'll think, wow, you're the practitioner for me because that's exactly what I want. Yeah. I, you know, and I think also, you know, having the, the patient feel confident that you, that you understand what their problem is. You know, I think that, you know, it can get a little bit lost. Well, I think it totally gets lost in translation if we spend all our time talking about yin and yang and, and chi and blood and the patient's like, yeah, but I'm here because my stomach is sore or my back is sore or, you know, whatever the problem is. And if you can, you know, even if you do feel like you want to talk about things in that, in the Chinese language speak, if you can continually bring it back to their issue, it helps them to see how it's relevant so they're not switching off the whole time. (laughs) They're like, oh, here she goes, talking about the yin-yang again. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of people are interested in hearing that, but a lot of people aren't as well. But every single person wants to hear about how they can get back on the dance floor or how they can get out in their gardening or, or, you know, how they can be more confident or whatever it is that their solution may be. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, just coming back to a point that you made before where you were saying that, um, Hamish, that, um, you know, everyone at the end of the day wants to be able to get patients coming through the door, you know, that the secret is getting getting new patients. You yeah. know, I think that in addition to that is is what are you going to do with these patients once they come to your clinic, you know, and if you're going to stuff it up, by not being able to create a good therapeutic relationship, then, you know, I think that's for for a lot of practitioners, that's really where their efforts are going to be best focused because, you know, if you've got an average patient return rate, you know, if they only come back to see you two or three times for things that really they should be coming to see you 10 or 15 times for, then, you know, that's that's going to 10x your... Your income right there just by you know just Absolutely. by um, improving your patient relationship you don't necessarily have to be churning through new patients all the time exactly right now that's a that's a really good point you brought up actually Claire because I think one of the one of the things that um, I find in, in terms of rapport building what you're saying was that practitioners just having the confidence in, in themselves as a practitioner and especially like you said when it comes to things like rebooking a patient um, being assertive about that, telling them that yeah, I'm the I'm the practitioner for you, and and just on that, I I think, and I say this in turbocharge as well. I think one of the most important and crucial things that you can say to a patient at the end of their treatment is my goal for you is this, or my plan for you is is this. So when a patient normally hops off the table, um, I'll say to them, okay, I'll give them a recap and say, okay, John, yeah, what we've done is. Uh, you know, we've tonified your spleen, we've removed your, tried to remove the damp and this and this and liver blood and, and with the intent of doing this. Now, my goal for you is this, I need to see you. Um, and, and again, using words like I'd like to see you or I need to see you, not is it okay to come back in a week or something like that. I'll say I need to see you three times a week for the first couple of weeks so we can build some momentum on your treatment. And, and I'll explain that and say build momentum, I mean, so we've got to get you better quicker than you're aggravating yourself. because. 
if you're spending two or three days away from this clinic, then that's two or three days where you could be doing the very thing that's aggravating. So I need to see you two or three times times a week to build momentum. Once your body is showing me that it, it's it's catching on to that momentum, we'll span the treatment out. Okay, we might do once a week or once every couple, and then I'll say something like my end goal for you, and again to be able to get back on the football field or get back on the dance floor is to uh, is to span out or to adopt the monthly maintenance where we can work on all the underlying issues that we talked about, the kidney yin, the kidney yang, the liver blood, whatever it is. And then I'll say, so that we never get back to this position where you're coming in being you know, dragged off the football field or, or that kind of thing. So just having that confidence and assertiveness as a practitioner, because they need your, they're, they're here for your guidance, basically. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's, um, I think it's so important and really, you know, I get a, I'm sure you guys do too, but a lot of new practitioners in particular who just really feel that that information is is lacking. You know, how many times should you be seeing your patients? Um, you yeah, know, if yeah. someone comes in with a particular condition, they're like, oh, well, I don't know how many times I need to see them. How, how, yeah. do, I, how do I know? You know, it's not written in the books. It's not necessarily yeah. taught very well in schools. Um, well, in China, guess, China, they see them every day. Well, exactly. Sometimes twice yeah. a day. Yeah, and that's that. That's the interesting thing, actually. That um, I think with a lot of practitioners too, and they practitioners that don't quite get the results that they need, and especially in my my area for musculoskeletal, it's not their diagnosis, it's not their interaction, it's not their point selection, it's not the way they deliver it. It's just that they're not seeing the patient often enough to get momentum because. It seems to be this, I'll see you once a week, once a week, but they've got six yeah. whole days in between treatments where they can aggravate themselves. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a, it's a dosage issue really, isn't it? Absolutely. Like taking, a, taking a tenth of a painkiller and then wondering why it hasn't worked. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And, I think one of the, and I think one of the underlying things, uh, so that's the mechanical side of it where, you, like you said yourself, Claire, about it's a dosage thing. I believe the other thing is also a lack of the ability to actually transfer that information with assertion and confidence. You see, the thing is, uh, many we, we I often ask this question. I said, "How many of you guys in the room, uh, you know, think you're in sales?" And no one puts their hands up. And I like say, <laughs> none of you actually believe that you have a product or a service that you're selling. So there's a strong resentment underneath all this where most practitioners and unfortunately it is acupuncturists in particular because we do get naturopaths, physios, chiros in our workshops as well. But it seems to be more of the energy side of healing. Uh, they just don't like sales. They have resentment with sales and all this stuff. So they forget this one notion that a client comes into your room for your help, not necessarily the other way around. Now, of course, we learn a lot from our clients, but clients buy and by, mean, and by saying buy, I mean not just financially, but also just investing and committing into the treatment times and sessions based on your belief and your certainty and your confidence. And if you don't have that and you're not the authority in the room to help guide them that and instruct them, they're not going to listen because humans need instruction. So they go in thinking, oh, my God, I just had the best session with you. And you come out you know, to get the money and rebook and you just go, like Hamish said, oh, look, would you like to come in next week or, or do you think you can come in next week? That client thinks, oh, my God, I just had like the most profound treatment with you. Of course I want to come back, but it just seems like you're not really sure yourself. <laughs> so yeah. they have yeah. this hesitation in themselves and they go, oh, well, okay, maybe next week then. So it's just this lack of assertion, confidence, you know, certainty and belief and selling. 
Selling is just the transfer of feeling, belief, and enthusiasm. And they've even said enthusiasm comes from the word entheos, which means the God within, the divine energy within. And if you're not talking with enthusiasm, it's very hard to get engaged with people for them to actually follow your instructions. So that's, mm-hmm. I think, an underlying, uh, underlying issue be- behind a lot of this stuff. You know, I really like the, the way that you use the word buy, you know, that, that patients are buying our service. You know, I went, yeah. to a, um, went to a sales training last year, not, um, not related to healthcare, just a general sales, yep. um, sales training day. And, you know, and they asked at the start of the day, they go, right, raise your hands, who likes being sold to? <laughs> and no one put their hand up, of course, because, you know, people don't like it. Well, I mean, yep. maybe some people do, but as a, as a general thing, you know, people didn't, people didn't raise their hand. Then the next question was, who likes buying things? You know, who likes going shopping? Who likes buying stuff? Everyone put their hand up. You know, yep. everyone likes to buy things. We love to buy things. We hate being sold to. And, yep. you know, they, and they talked about this, you know, this idea of creating a buying environment. You know, create yes. an environment around your service or around your product that, that makes people want to buy it. And then you yep. don't – and that that was kind of – you know, the, the idea behind that sales training, I thought, oh, you know, that's such a good way of framing it because, mm. you know, I see it with, with practitioners who come through my clinic as well, you know, not all of them, but some of them definitely have issues with, um, you know, feeling like they're selling or, you know, mm. feeling like they shouldn't be charging so much or, you know, that there's a real disconnect between, um, you know, their patient's their patient's budget and and their own value and and then also their ability to pay their bills and how much of a wage they can earn. Um, and well, it's just that's, that's, a really mucky area. Yeah. And that's that's exactly um, correct. That's on point actually because I see this. Um, look, it does actually happen in non non healthcare um, departments as well. So even in corporations, um, in the sort of the, the teams that it does happen and it still comes down to your level of belief and certainty. And one of the things I've observed again, like in my area of work, which is more the psycho emotional um, stuff is that I feel a lot of uh, healers out there either have gone into healing or healing at the moment. And what they're doing is they're healing aspects of themselves. So like you said about the budget, for example, uh, and now most people don't make a lot of money in our industry, unfortunately, just again, because of the business, uh, lack of business know-how. So out of their own discomfort in terms of what they can or can't afford, that's a reflection of what they see in, in, in an individual. So if I say, look, I, I wouldn't be able to afford three sessions a week myself. Now, I might not realize, but just through the state of vibration, they're actually transferring that energy onto the client and the client picks that up whether they like it or not. So it still comes down to that. It's just what you said. It's just about the confidence, assertion, and your ability to transfer that energy and commitment. And if you don't think you can do it yourself, it's not going to happen. It's like I was doing some work with real estate company. And, you know, if you're making $100,000 a year and you're selling a $5 million home, you yourself would probably think, oh, my God, there's no way I could afford this. And that energy actually shows in the client. And so those hesitations, procrastinations, frustrations in your own language actually come out to the client and that's got the potential to actually lose the sale the transaction so it's a big deal actually Mm. speaking of mindset are there um obviously that's what we're talking about today 
there other are there other um, you know common common things that are happening in practitioners' minds or in their you know that's happening behind the scenes in their thoughts that um, that can cause them to not be doing as well as they could be in business. Uh Absolutely, Claire. Uh, I've noticed this, uh, again, doing this for seven years, but also not just the business workshops, but doing the psycho-emotional work. There's a couple things. One, um, most people don't understand the difference between sympathy and empathy. And like I said, sometimes healers get into healing because they're actually looking at healing aspects of themselves. So if you have areas in your body, in your psyche, that is not really healed, which means you're holding on to emotional trauma from the past, you're likely to attract clients sort of like in a similar caliban vibration and out of that connection you're likely to altruistically give more than you should because you feel guilty and now unfortunately but also fortunately because it's good to have the awareness of it um, one of the fundamental rules and and reasons why most people aren't doing well in business and financially like financially independent or at least making good money is actually because of guilt and shame so most people actually hold on to some sort of guilt and shame, and that's due to some uh, imbalanced, scattered emotions. And so what they find within themselves is they actually give more, so altruistically. And they have this sense that I shouldn't have to receive as much. I should give and give and give. And that's the delusion because uh, you're sort of defying what's called the law of fair, fair exchange. And anything that defies the law of fair exchange in the universe, um, one party is going to have anger and resentment. Next to that is this thing about compassion. Now, compassion is fantastic. The notion of it, it's been studied. Neuroscience is doing a lot of work with, um, you know, Buddhist monks measuring their brains with compassion, all this stuff. One thing that most people don't realize is actually what the word actually means. And the, the word passion, where it comes from, has a root connection to the word which means to suffer. And compassion means to suffer with, co-passion, right? So most people have this thing about suffering with people in order to heal. And the problem is when you are too overly sympathetic with the client, you become the client, which means you become the pain, you become the problem. And now you're in no longer in a position to heal because you were both the same. So it's one thing to hear someone say, look, I've got six months to leave. You know, I normally just put my hand on their forearm and say, thank you so much for sharing that. You know, I understand completely. Now I'm going to step back. And I'm going to be in a position to help you. You know, I confidently say, I'm the man for the job. And he's what I need from you. Now, if I don't do that, and I sort of get teary and, and I can't handle my own emotions, now I'm becoming them. Now, the mistake is most, most practitioners think, oh, well, now I'm building rapport because we're both the same. Now, the problem is that there's no level of certainty and, and, and assertion and confidence. So you become almost friends. And then they just tend to run the story. So clients now just tend to run their story and their story, which is the same story that's got them there in the first place, you know, which is based on emotions. And, and then the cycle just repeats itself. There's no transformation. There's only relaxation. And I think that's where the major problem is. Altruistic giving, too much compassion without really understanding the laws of fair exchange and just giving, 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 giving. Now, I know this stuff because I used to do it myself and I wanted to get out of that because mm -hmm. I was suffering in the midst of it myself. So I think they're the main um, cornerstones, which is underlying, which is emotions and imbalanced emotions, fragmented emotions. And this is where it all comes from, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think, I think just to um, add to that a little bit too, in, in terms of, I, I think it's really important because, again, we're in this situation, but for practitioners to 
to take accountability for them being quiet as well. Because I think, um, you know, if, it's always related to a cause when your practice is, is quiet. Now, whether it be, you know, it might be your mindset, your, your tenacity, your level of activity in, in the business, your level of knowledge, your level of marketing. But I think a lot of practitioners, when, when their practice isn't going very well, they're sort of on that, that effect side. So when their practice is quiet, you know, we come up with this, this book of excuses. And, and again, so we, we were like that quite a while ago, but we say, oh, look, it's the economy's a bit slow. That's why people aren't coming in or, or it's, it's school holidays. That's a pretty common one. Or um, think that, you know, the weather's too hot. There's been a budget and that kind of thing. But there's always a, a reason that doesn't involve us when, when our practice is quiet. But, you know, it's, it's a strange thing because the reality is no matter what the weather or the school holidays or what the budget's doing, there's, there's always, always people looking for your services. And it's just about tapping into that right market to find them and, and again, providing that solution. So I think um, one of the, the main things is, yeah, is just to start taking accountability for, for what you're doing or, or not doing in your practice as well. So just exactly. So if I, for example, don't value my services and I, and I give with confidence and like I said, with assertion and authority, because that's what you are, you're an authority in the room, but sometimes if you don't feel like an authority, clients don't can pick that up really quickly and they might be able to sort of move away from it. So if you don't value yourself, to, the, to a certain degree, that means you don't value your services, which means at the end of the day, what you would do if you don't value your services, you would rather discount your services to get a deal, which is a client, rather than increase the value of your services and contribution to get a better price. Mm. And, and mm. that again is the, is the guilt and shame combination. So you might be holding on to guilt or shame somewhere in, in the past. And out of that, in order to compensate for the guilt that you carry, you would rather give more just to you know, put your put your guilt down, but unfortunately, that that model doesn't really work, and you actually build yourself heaps of pockets of resentment throughout your body, and eventually, there's only three conclusions: you're going to resent your client, you're going to resent your work, which is probably why you would leave or do it part time, or at the end of the day, you might resent yourself, and uh, it's happening quite a bit. It's it's so common, and I would almost use the word prolific, you know, within our industry, and it. It really, um, you know, I've spoken with other other practitioners as well, and um, I mean, you you both know um, Kirsten Wolf that um, her yeah. and I yeah. are running the conference at the end of the year, and that's it's something that her and I have discussed a few times as well. That you know, it's just such it's such a shame. You know, there's some amazing practitioners out there, so skilled and so knowledgeable. And, you know, that's, they're like the best kept secret. And yeah. even if they do get patients coming into their clinic, they just can't run a consult or structure a treatment plan in a way that allows a patient to engage with our medicine. Um, and, it, and it means that they're not, they're not actually available to, to provide the healing to the world that, you know, that they really should be. And it's just... You know, and it, and and you see, you know, we talk to practitioners all the time. You know, you meet people at conferences and at various, you know, talking to people in, um, you know, on online forums, and some people are really struggling out there, and mm. they're either, you know, not able to make ends meet, and having to get part-time jobs, or they're just kind of limping along on, you know, on a fairly basic salary, and, um, you know, this. It's it, it's almost like a, 
I don't I don't like the mentality. It's it's almost like in some ways that we don't want to be we don't want to be wealthy. We don't want to be paid appropriately for our for our skills. And yeah. I don't think there's a reason why any Chinese medicine practitioner can't aim to be earning six figures. Absolutely, yeah. Well, one of the things, one of the things, Claire, that we always say in our seminars as well is you, you really need to split your time equally between your, you know, gaining knowledge for TCM but gaining knowledge for business as well. And that you, you might know the shocking statistic that basically, well, only five percent of around about five percent of practitioners are at any one time are actively investing in in growing their business, basically. And and the other reality is that. 95% of, of the industry, uh, sorry, 5% of the industry makes 95% of the of the funds mm-hmm. spent in that in- industry, which which basically means wow. that um, that yeah, that exactly right. Which basically means that uh, 95% of practitioners are squabbling over 5% of the funds spent in in the industry, and and so it's it's that sort of thing where uh, we see a lot of practitioners they'll they'll finish uni. And then we ask them about, oh, you know, what's what's your plan for practice? What's your marketing plan? And and we hear this a lot. They they sort of say, well, look, I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna get a part time job, and I'll enrol in practice, and I'll find somewhere to practice, but I'll get a part time job. And they say this, they'll go, I'll just let my practice build up naturally, and and that all sounds really strange to us because you know then we all love what we do as practitioners. It's more a calling than than a job. So if we love what we do and we want it to build up, really, I mean, anything you love. That you want to grow and develop and succeed well it needs time and it needs attention whether that be a practice a pet a plant a child um, it needs that attention so one of the main things we we tell practitioners to do is every single week you have to scratch off time to work on your practice um, as you know and not in your practice so you know Sahal and I will spend at least six or seven hours a week dedicated to, to building the practice and the seminars at, at least um, and it's really important that practitioners right off the bat start start doing that and, and not just sort of coming in and doing admin stuff, but really, you know, creating and implementing something every single week to to grow their practice. Yeah, that's it's something that I think as we as we mentioned earlier in the episode, it's you know, it's a skill set that practitioners they just don't either they don't have it or they don't feel the need to to practice the skill or to implement the skill, I think. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know what your experience is, but it seems like the amount of practice building seminars and you know continuing professional education is that's around business is just so small, and there's you know there's seems to be an endless number of seminars on you know how to yeah. <laughs> how to put the needles in better or how to make the herbs yeah. better yeah. or you know how to diagnose better and and ultimately that's that's not what practitioners need in order to succeed it obviously helps them to be better at their craft um, which yeah. is a valuable thing um, exactly. but there's so many there just seems to be a real disconnect between what what practitioners actually need in order to be able mm-hmm. to to grow their business and what they're and what they're going after, can you guys talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that? Like, where does that disconnect come from, and how do we solve it? Well, I think. Yeah, again, I... So, go on, Hamish. You want to say it? 
Oh, sorry. No, I was, I was just going to say, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, you're on point with that, Claire, in terms of like, you know, doing a seminar for, you know, we all do lots of this. And we spend a lot of money doing TCM seminars and seminars to better our knowledge, but but not much at all spent on actually learning how to market. And, and you're right, because doing a seminar on, you know, how to stick the needles in better and, and all those kind of technical things, um, that's not going to really bring clients in. That will help you treat your existing clients better, but there's there's no point doing a you know a weekend seminar on, on whatever if it's musculoskeletal fertility or psychoemotional and and being really empowered and inspired and, and all all these new skills to help people. But then you've only got two people booked in on Monday and then no one on Tuesday and four people on Wednesday. You're not making the best use of those skills that you're learning. Yeah, I was just gonna exactly right. I was just going to also add like some small things. Again, it comes down to the internal environment of the person. So if there's sort of inequity within yourself, you're not going to have equity with clients outside, which means if there's fragmentation within yourself, you're going to project that onto your environment and then you're going to have a reflection of that coming back to you. So if there's so much incongruency between success and money and you know profits, just the terminology sort of scares most of the practitioners. Just little things like changing the word success because obviously some people are uncomfortable with the word success and one of the reasons is because they actually fear it they fear getting successful which means what will it take am I willing to you know do this and do that what am I willing to sacrifice because success is something that you have to pay for in advance it's just not going to come to you but in saying that success is also something that you attract yourself by becoming something different so you don't have to follow it, you don't have to chase it, it's just internal. So you change mm. your internal chemistry, success will come to you. But if it's a big deal and, and there's conflicts within your mind, you just need to change the word success to contribution. Because the skills that you have, the healing ability that you have, there is people out there that need it. So I'll just give you one quick example of a student that um, uh, finished up from Endeavor. And this gentleman was a really intelligent student, one of the most intelligent students I actually had. And I saw him for a treatment a while after he was, you know, November, I think is the time that finished. I thought maybe April or May or something like that the following year. I'm thinking, oh, my God, you must be practicing. You know, you're obviously doing really well. You're pretty, you know, switched on in, in class. And he goes, no, I'm not really practicing yet. You know, there's issues with licensing. I said, oh, fair enough. And then I realized, hang on a second, that's a long time to be waiting for a license. So cutting the long story short, I got straight to the point of the matter. And it was just scared and um, fearful. I said, what are you scared of? Oh, well, you know, not knowing enough and, you know, running the business, this, this and that. And maybe because I was his lecturer, you might have thought that, you know, I'm just going to hug him and, you know, say it's going to be okay. It's going to be time, blah, blah, blah. I said, no, you're actually, you're selfish. And he got a bit shocked. And I said, no, you're selfish because you know how many people are dying out there with terminal illness who are ready to throw money at you because they need your help and your skills, but you're just thinking about yourself. Mm. I said, that's selfish. I said, that's not fear. That's contraction. I said, you're, you're thinking about yourself less about the clients. So if you believe you have a skill, you do, you believe you have a gift and you're learning all, you know, spending all the money to learn how to needle better and all this stuff, you have a right for contribution to the masses. You need to contribute. And so change the word success to contribution. Change the word sales to service. You're not a salesperson. You're a sales advisor. If you look at people for sales as a client, yeah, you might make a few clients, get a couple of dollars. But if you look at them as a need, like Hamish said, people have needs and we need to provide solutions for them. They'll become a fortune. That's where your fortune is. But underneath all this, it's you. It's the equity within yourself. If you have that, there's no fragmentation of emotions there. There's nothing but love and certainty. You can project that, and then you'll get a exact same proportion back to you. 
But, you know, the, the universe protects the weakest link. If you wake up in the morning, you're not inspired to serve because you're scared, you're fearful, you're contracted. The universe is going to get the client to cancel and they're going to wonder why these keep, clients keep canceling. Well, that's because you're not in any position to treat me. I'm, I'm giving you money mm. for treatment. And if you're emotional yourself or you're angry and resentful about something that happened a couple of days ago, of course I'm not going to come to see you. Now, this is not language. People don't talk about this stuff. It's all energy and it happens. It's just that people fail to realize that. So, again, I always come back to the fact that, you know, you have an ethical and moral obligation to make a difference so with, with this particular industry. And if you're a healer, you were chosen for something great. And this is not even some airy-fairy stuff. This is <laughs> written in our own career. The, you know, TCM states you're a gift. Um, Shen is a gift. It's an extension away from your comfort. Um, you know, reaching for, for heaven, reaching for something greater than you. Uh, I often say that, uh, you know, heart has nine points, nine in Chinese astrology is the utmost completion. It's the state of completion, which means your heart can take you to where you want to go. It's just that you've confused the gift with anxiety, palpitations, tight chest, you know, hyperventilation. That's not anxiety. That's excitement. That's probably the only time you've given yourself permission to rise. But then your friends, your family, yourself, you, you know, you shake a little bit, you think, oh my God, I'm having anxiety. And then you say to yourself, well, look, at least I tried. No, you didn't try nothing. The universe gave you one simple test and you failed. You know, you got to keep going. You got to be resilient. You got to pay for success in advance. You got to wake up every morning inspired to make a difference. That's my take on that. I think it's a really uh, good way to frame it that you're sort of saying either you're approaching things as, you know, practitioner centered or patient centered. And over my career, I've moved geographically more times than I'd ever planned. And so I've been through different, quite a few different environments and having to start up again in different ways. And each time, you know, implementing all the things that I've learned uh, from the last time. And one of the things that I've noticed in practitioners in terms of their ability to get comfortable with that kind of conversation, whether you're selling or in creating an environment to buy or um, oh. you know offering the service that people need is that often what has drawn the practitioner towards acupuncture or Chinese medicine I find can be really important in setting them up to be either practitioner-centered or patient-centered. For example, mm. you know if the practitioner has gotten into acupuncture because they just think that acupuncture is fascinating um, you know, why wouldn't you think it's amazing? Uh, they're drawn to that kind of like the magic in the medicine, so to speak. Mm, sure. And so that person might find it really difficult to translate from their own relationship into someone who doesn't, isn't just into acupuncture because it's acupuncture and therefore, you know, that must be amazing. Um, they're into it because they're simply looking for a solution for, you know, their problem. And then mm. there are other practitioners who got into acupuncture and Chinese medicine because they had a problem, they had a health problem. They tried everything and it just happened to be acupuncture that really helped them. Mm. And I find that those practitioners are a lot more able to describe what it is they have to offer in pragmatic terms to the patient, you know, framed as you have this problem, I have this solution. And yeah don't so much expect the patient to do so much of the work of falling in love with acupuncture because they had one session and it was amazing so therefore of course they're coming back or you know they they therefore 
have this trust in the acupuncture. And I think I've seen that a lot where, you know, a lot of us do it because we know that it's magic or we we enjoy <laughs> that aspect of it and we're drawn to that, um, but we can't rely on that feeling being present in the patient. Hmm. Oh, oh, and yeah. Exactly right. That's, that's a good point. And that's, I think, one of the things uh, as a practitioner, we need to have some skill in in order to activate that part. See, the thing is, unless you compel someone emotionally, their logic will kick in and defend it and say, no, it's not good enough. No, I'll think about it. I can't afford it. I need to speak to my partner. And one one lesson that I've learned myself is that it takes, uh, there's twice more motivation for humans to move away from pain than to move towards their objective. So, you know, someone comes in, they've got a few months to leave. And, you know, that's an extreme example. But, and I draw out this picture of, you know, nutrition, supplements, herbs, acupuncture, three times a week, this, 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 and that, lifestyle changes counseling guidance that all looks great but unless i can compel you to move towards that objective it's not enough so i need to arouse that emotional desire so that your logic doesn't kick in and say okay that's not because it might look good uh with the presentation and the structure but if there's no emotions to it then it's going to be harder and i think one of the things is lacking is our ability as practitioners sometimes to activate that part of the brain so that people can make a decision kind of like instilling the confidence in them when they themselves don't have the confidence to make the change. And it's our job to do that. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. And there's differences in terms of practitioners and patients, healers, uh, sometimes healing aspects of themselves. And, and like you said, they might be able to translate that better as well. So, yeah. Mm. It's, it's interesting, Claire, when you, when you said um, about fall, getting and falling in love with, with acupuncture, and that's, the, I think, one of the key things you would heard the um heard the term to, to sell the feeling and that's uh i feel it's a really nice thing to do when you're when you're working with a client and, and um my view is like not not as much to get them to fall in love with acupuncture but to get them to fall in love with what happens after the acupuncture so what feelings are going to give them how's it going to change their life how's it going to sort of put them on track to that solution that they want as well yeah i think um I think, and, and that was Fiona that was saying that before, by the way. She's um, she's joined in <laughs> to the oh, conversation. Right. <laughs> Hi, sorry, I arrived late. It was very early in the morning and I've been a bit unwell. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having oh, us. Yeah. yeah, thank you for being here. Um, and I've just lost what I was going to say. So someone else can say something. <laughs> <laughs> um, well... <clears throat> Hamish, you want to say a few things on the, the structuring the consult? Yeah, that, that's right. In terms of, I mean, when, when um, so I suppose just my, my normal thing for when a, a patient comes in to see me, just having a, having a really nice plan of, of what I'm going to do. And also I mentioned, you know, explaining your goals to the patient. And, and I think really importantly, making sure that it's all well and good to tell the patient what my goals are for them but really making sure that your patient goals are aligning to what your goals are for them. Because otherwise, if they're not aligning, then the patient's going to have these unmet expectations as well. So after I sort of align my or tell them what my plan is for them, this is how I intend to provide that solution. This is how many treatments I, I expect it to take and we'll span it out. And, and I need you to take these herbs and do these stretches and do these exercises and, and whatever it is. To check that that's what they actually want out of the treatment too. So how does that sound to you? And, and they might say, well, yeah, that sounds excellent. Or 
they might say, well, look, I actually had something different in mind, but just to sort of check that you're you're aligning your expectations and, and your outcomes too. So I like to sort of go through that first and and obviously, uh, like I said, you know, explain as much as I can to them about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and, and how it's going to provide that ultimate solution. Like I said, everything just ties back to to what they want out of the treatment, how it's going to sort of improve it. So every point I talk to them about, every muscle I talk to them about, will somehow tie it back to, again, how they can get on the footy field faster, how they can get on the dance floor, um, how they can get out to, to gardening and that, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, doing that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, especially after they get up from the table, reiterating the goals as well and say, right, this is what I need you to do. So not would you like to book in, but I need to see you this much. I need you to be taking the liniment or taking these herbs. So that to have that assertiveness and, and, again, yeah, telling them I'm the practitioner that's going to help you. I'm the man for the job. Yeah. I think, in, I think you know, that's a really good point and I make a big deal in my clinic of, making sure that patients are using, just really aware of the language they're using around, um, you know, around that setting out the treatment plan and um, and the rebooking because it's, you know, it is really important to, um, to, to let a patient know the entirety of what your treatment plan is for them yeah. and not to, not to, um, censor it or filter it through a lens of I don't think they can afford it or you know yeah. I don't think they can handle the herbs you know I don't think that they mm -hmm. can um, you know I think they're too busy to come in you know twice a week or three times a week I think that you, you're definitely doing yourself we're doing your patient a real disservice by not presenting them with the entirety of your treatment plan and I and I tell my practitioners that my expectation is that they present to their patients the ideal treatment plan. This is, you know, the ideal scenario yeah. of this is what you want them to do. You want them to come in this many times, take these herbs, make these diet changes, make these lifestyle changes. And then if the patient, you know, for whatever reason, if they're not able to do that, at least they know that they're now negotiating away from what's being prescribed for them. And Absolutely. That's an actually, yeah, that's actually a really good point. Like an example I've got at the moment, I'm I'm seeing a um a renderer, um and, and of course like for for tennis elbow and um you know obviously a renderer is scooping big heavy cement every day, putting it on the wall. And one of the first things I said to him is that because we get this scenario, don't we, where patients will come in and then we'll we'll needle them and we'll give them a great treatment, use the electro, rub liniment on, give them herbs and exercises and things like that. But they'll go back to the next stage of the very thing that tends to be aggravating them. So this person would go back and, and do the rendering the next day. And then so when I see him in a few days' time, he might come back and say, well, look, you know, it was it was good for a day, but now it's bad again. And then the next time it was good for a day and now it's bad again. And, and um, after a few weeks of doing that, he's just going to stop seeing he'll stop seeing the practitioner and, and he'll be telling everyone, oh, acupuncture doesn't really work. But it's not that the acupuncture didn't work at all. It's that he, was, he wasn't really listening to your, uh, your prescription and he was putting himself in the very situation that aggravated it again. So right off the bat, I said to this guy, look, if, if you're going to be rendering every day, it's important that you understand that the treatment's going to go up and down. So it's not going to be the acupuncture that's not working. But if you if you do all the things that I'm, I'm asking you to do, as well as having a good break, 
prior, or at least a week's break or a couple of weeks break from work while we're building momentum, or you can at least delegate the work to someone else, uh, that'll do wonders for you. But uh, just to get it in their mind that, yeah, it's um, if they're doing the very thing that keeps aggravating, it's not the acupuncture that's not working. It's their their inability to to follow our direction. Mm, absolutely. I think, you know, it's so important to just to bring that awareness and accountability back onto the patient that, you know, we're not there to take away, to magic away their problems, like they actually have to participate in the process as well. Yeah. Yeah, you, absolutely. Yeah. You said some, um, same, same on the, the point that you said, Claire, before about like, transferring our sort of beliefs onto them about like maybe how the herbs would taste like or can't afford it. Hamish and I often say you're not your own customer. And um, just a quick mm. example of that, one of the things that we teach with the marketing side is, you know, sending quality educational emails uh, for them. And one of the first challenges we get immediately is, oh, well, I wouldn't do that because, you know, I don't like receiving emails. And, well, again, you're not your own customer. You're not your own <laughs> client, you know. And also, if you're spamming me, yeah, of course, I wouldn't be, you know, wanting to receive them as well. But if you know how to strategically connect with people, engage people, build you know, interaction, inspiration through quality education, I'm sure anyone would be in, you know, happy to receive emails. But at the end of the day, like you said, it's about transferring our own belief system onto the clients. Mm -hmm. Just because I couldn't afford three sessions a week, that means you can't. It's just because the herbs don't taste that good for me, it won't taste good for you. And again, it is a little bit about the personality styles as well, so we track who we are. Um, and then we just unconsciously transfer that and then we get a similar result and there's no specific or substantial change. And I think, you know, that's a, it's a really great point. And I think also if you put yourself into the patient's shoes and if it was flipped around and if you found out that your practitioner was holding back and, yeah. that, <laughs> and that the real treatment should have involved herbs but you weren't prescribed herbs or the real treatment should have been three times a week but they only said come once a week you would be really you would be really cross with that practitioner yeah, absolutely. You would be really really ripped off um, and, which and is the, obviously the exact problem that the practitioner is trying to avoid yeah, yeah. And, and the proof of that is when we feel like they can't afford three sessions or we don't have the confidence to ask them to come in three sessions for two three weeks blah 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 and then they sort of tend to come in once a week because we can't get them in more than that. And then they cancel more regular. And then they end up saying, look, I'm going to have to let go because I just can't afford it. But what they're doing is they're letting go of your sessions, but still staying committed to the three times a week they've been seeing their chiro for the last six months and probably mm -hmm. the rest of their life. You know, so it's like we're the first people they let go. And again, that's because of the energy you're putting out there, the lack of assertion, the lack of confidence in your ability to sell that message. So they let you go first and they stay connected to someone who's, you know, seeing them three or four times a week. Now, what they do on the other side is not my concern, but it's just the fact that I'm letting go of something that I should have a belief in myself. And if, if that gap is missing and there's a big gap there, they're going to pick that message up and then take it with them. Yeah, yeah, and, and that all that also comes if I can add to that too. I mean, it still comes back to, um, and always comes back to just you know targeting what what the solution they want out of the treatment is. Because again, if if someone's a professional dancer and they've got Achilles tendonitis and that's stopping them from one doing what they love or or doing or working um, as a dancer. Now, if I if I can show them how this treatment is going to get them back on the dance floor and that, then I shouldn't I shouldn't even need to ask them to come in. And they'll just say to me, 
how many times do you want me to come in? Um, how many sessions in advance do I need to book? Because you're providing that, that solution to them, which is exactly what they want. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think just reminding patients of why they're in your clinic, you know, sometimes sometimes it can feel like, you know, you can have these patients that come in and they don't listen to a word, you know, they don't seem to be taking on board any of the advice. They come in, they say, I didn't take my herbs, I haven't made the diet changes, you know, and sometimes you just think, oh, my God, like it, it can be really challenging and really frustrating because it's difficult as a practitioner to imagine imagine the value that they're getting. You know, they're obviously still feeling that there's some value because they're still coming back. Um, yeah. And I, and it reminds me of a conversation that I had with you, Fee, when, um, when you were still in the clinic and I had this patient who, oh, she just drove me nuts. Every time she would come in, we'd talk about her treatment and we'd, you know, we'd clarify exactly what it was that she was, she was meant to be doing. And she would go home and every time she would, she would say, oh, I couldn't remember what you said and so I decided not to take my herbs. Or I couldn't, you know, there, there was always some story around a misunderstanding or, you know, that she couldn't remember and, and that that was the reason that she'd stop, um, that she'd stop the treatment or that she wouldn't uphold her end of the deal. And, mm. um, and I remember saying to Fee, oh, my God, what am I going to do with this patient? I just feel like... You know, every time, every time she walks out, I know for a fact that she's not going to do any of the stuff that we agree to. Mm-hmm. And Fee, I don't know if you're available. And um, Fee's advice was to actually call that out in in the consult. And um, and so I did. Mm-hmm. I said to her, now there is every chance that you're going to get home and you're going to and you're going to think, oh, I forget what Claire told me. And that you're not going to take the herbs, or there's going to be something that's going to happen in your thought process that's going to result in you thinking, I'm not going to take my herbs. Let's talk about that now. You know, what can you foresee as possible things that might come up that's going to be barriers? <laughs> that's great. Let's talk about that's that. Great. Yeah. And it was such great advice that it really unlocked the next level of um, of healing for her. Do you remember that's that? Yeah, um, not not specifically, no. But you know, I certainly am familiar with the dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it happens quite a bit. I actually um, had a recent episode of this, a, a different way of looking at it, so to speak, with herbs. And um, the the lady didn't take the herbs for about um, two and a half weeks, three weeks when I saw her. And it wasn't like I've taken it sporadically, like on and off. I didn't, you know, three times a day. None of that. It was just I haven't taken it. And so someone to hold her accountable, I said, look, if you haven't taken it at all, is a different story to you taking it on and off. So I want to know what reference level you have connected to why you're not taking it. So holding her accountable because I must have known that there was, um, you know, she's got a reference uh, to that in terms of meaning. And she sort of started tearing up. And I said, I know there's a connection to it, isn't it? And she said, yeah, well, a while ago, a naturopath gave her something and it didn't agree with her stomach. And she spent about four months with some stomach issues and then that sort of scarred her. So both with herbs or acupuncture, I find that sometimes people have a connection to a past history in their story that's holding them back and it's probably important to find out what that may be because they might actually have a story attached to it. Now that hasn't all happened all the time, like maybe in your case, your client was different, but 
just reminded me of a recent case because I do see a lot of the psycho-emotional stuff. Sometimes people have um, trauma attached to something as simple as actually taking herbs mm. or not doing certain points and so on. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's the most important reason to bring up those behaviours in the consult as soon as you notice them because yeah. they are diagnostic in a way. Yeah, and absolutely. Also, I mean, it's kind of blatant. Like the patient is definitely getting you to notice that they did this thing or, and, or they said they would do these things and then they don't. Yep. So in, in many ways, people definitely show us everything they need us to see or the dots they need us to join. Yeah, that, that's, that's on point, exactly. And it's, it's our ability to be able to see that. I had an, a recent um, a client who who's had depression and cluster headaches for 17-something years. And I normally don't treat in the first session. I go through goals, values, and the state of gratitude and a few other things. And she's just talking to me and while I was talking about goals and gratitude and she goes to hell. So based on what you're saying, does that mean that when I start getting better, I may isolate myself from my friends? And that was her Freudian slip. So I gave her a high five and said, did you just hear what you said? So basically she's carrying a symptom or an illness because it gives her something of service. In this case, friends and you know, people to be in her life. Otherwise she might feel isolated. So sometimes those things fall out um, from our own you know, ability not to be able to see them. And they're just key, key triggers as to why people have certain things. And I think it's important for us practitioners to be able to recognize those small, small traits in people when they accidentally slip them out. Yeah, absolutely. At, at all times, our patients are showing us who they are. Yes. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, just before we wrap up, because I'm aware of the time and um, it is getting late, um, was there, so we obviously talked about, you know, the mindset of, of um, you know, behind business success or the lack thereof um, and some of the things that practitioners are missing in terms of, um, you know, things that lead them towards poor performance and not necessarily towards good business performance. Are there any final gems or tips that you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, I, I, um, I think, I think one, one thing that we, we do like to um, really encourage practitioners to, to do is to, um, to niche themselves, basically, and, mm -hmm. and um, you know, basically being a niche, being for, for those that aren't familiar with the term, to, uh, to be a specialist in, in something. Um, and, and the theory behind that is really, as practitioners, I think, you know, we, we try we try and be, be all things to all people and, and it's virtually, we know how broad and deep TCM is and, and to be an expert in any one field takes a long, long, long time. So it's, it's very hard to possibly try and be an expert in everything. And the, the analogy I sort of use or the, the thing that I say about this is that if I drive past a, an acupuncturist um, practice and, and basically I'll see 30 different things on their window of what they treat might be, yeah, asthma, hay fever, um, neck pain, back pain, anxiety, depression, fertility, all these, and there's 30 different things, but there's, there's one practitioner's name at the bottom. And my first thought with, with any of that is, well, how good can that person be at treating any one of those things? So if I wanted help for asthma, when was the last time I actually treated it? Or if I wanted help for fertility, I'd, I'd be wanting to go to someone that does nothing but that. 
Um, so that's that, that sort of theory of niche. And so it, it's very hard to put all your time and effort into um, into doing a whole lot of, into being an expert at a whole lot of different things. So we say, you know, that old saying, we say, well, inch wide, mile deep. So have a, you know, be be good at everything, but be an absolute specialist in, in one thing. And that's gonna make your marketing a lot easier too. If, so for example, you know, if I, I concentrate, no, I do a lot of musculoskeletal, but 85% of what I do is disc herniation and disc related things, spondylosis, sciatica, all those kind of things. But that makes your marketing really easy. Or if you want to narrow it down as much as you can, you can be musculoskeletal or you could focus on the knee or even specifically focus on something like cruciate ligament disorder. And then again, you, you know exactly who to advertise to, dancers, sports clubs, squash clubs, those kind of um, people. And, and you really get to, to, I suppose, talk to the people directly and, and get right into their mind and, and, and provide them with the, the solution because there's that, that saying as well, if you're, if you're trying to advertise to everybody, if you're trying to talk to everybody, then no one's going to actually feel like you're talking to them um, unless you niche it and, and target people that, uh, that get problems in the niche that you're trying to do. So, so that concept of being, I suppose, a, a big fish in a small pond. That's great advice. It's such good advice. I totally agree with you, Hamish. That you know mm. that idea of jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. And and I think you know um, just on that too. When we say that to practitioners, a lot of practitioners sort of say, "Well, I don't know what should I niche in, or or you know what should I do?" And so a few sort of rough guidelines. And just for those listening, if they if you're having a, a think about you know, oh, what can I niche in this? There's a few sort of questions that we like to, to clarify. I want you to sort of ask yourself and, and probably one of the first ones is, well, who, who needs my skills the most or who needs what I have to offer uh, the most and, and who do I feel as a practitioner, who, I, who do I feel the strongest calling to, uh, to serve and, and to treat? Uh, and things like who have I already made a difference to? So sometimes, you know, a, a niche, you don't find a niche, a niche actually finds you, but the the main thing you've got to realise is that you don't uh, you don't really pick a niche. You, niches aren't they're not found. They're they're more created because it's really only limited by your imagination what niche that you you pick and and just do something that you're absolutely passionate about that and that inspires you to read all you can about it, attend every seminar you can about it, and and really position yourself as the authority on that subject as well because that'll make it again a lot easier for the community to see you as an authority and for you to do your marketing and things like that. Yeah, great, great advice. And Sahil, anything that you wanted to add? Uh, sure, one of the things that we often say, in fact, we have a banner um, when we do the business workshops and it says life rewards action. And mm. one of the most important things in life um, is just taking action and of course, I just recently wrote an article on procrastination and you know stagnation and all this stuff. But one of the key of that is that your body is asking you just to take a step. Now I didn't say take the right step. I just said take a step, and it doesn't have to be the right step because the quickest road to success is actually failure because it helps refine your skills and your ability. Um, so just take action in everything that you do when it comes to business. Take one small step, take action. Action breeds confidence, courage, certainty, poise, presence, productivity. Whereas inaction, it you know, it breeds doubt and fear and you know contraction and all this kind of stuff. So 
in every aspect of life, whether it's in business, personal development, you just need to take action and the key is progress. Um, in fact, there was a Harvard study on this and 12,000 diary entries were studied. And the days when the people in the study had their best days was just progress. So just having small action, small disciplines practiced every day, which will take you towards success. And on the opposite scale, of course, is small errors in judgment will take you towards failure. So take action, embrace change. You know, nothing changes until you accept it. And we know in Chinese medicine, stress is the inability to adapt to change. So you've got to embrace change. You've got to embrace your fears. You've got to understand that your fears, there's, there's a curiosity beyond your fears. Even Oprah Winfrey said, get curious with your fears because there's something more on the other side. You've got to have a vision. You've got to have a great vision because your, your inspiration in your business is directly proportionate to the clarity and vividness of your vision. And sometimes we hit plateaus in business and in personal life simply because our, we've outgrown our vision or simply it's not big enough. So have a great vision. And when you have a great vision, you've got to make some decisions towards that. We all know that you know, procrastination, indecision is a very bad place to be. It uses up a, you know, a lot of energy. So make a decision by taking action. Dream big, you know, have goals. If you don't have goals, you're just drifting by. And unfortunately in business, if you don't have a structure and goals, with all due respect, you're actually running a garage sale. It's like anyone can come in and can buy anything at any random time. It's not marketed, <laughs> it's not structured. So, you know, you've got to be able to have that vision, have goals. And just remember, goals is never about what you achieve it's always about the person that you are becoming in order to achieve that so don't become too attached to it have it as a guideline get it give you some structure in life but just understand it's never about failure it's always about the person that you're becoming in order to achieve that so suspend your disbeliefs you know i'm not good enough i can't make it uh, my, my mom did this my dad did this my sister did this my teacher said this they're just labels. They're just stories that you've just filled in for yourself. They just just suspend them. Like give yourself permission to outgrow them. Give yourself permission to literally violate them. You don't need time now. You can do it now. Just violate those reference levels. You know you have no limitations. You just have addictions to your limited beliefs. Again, based on the stories you've created. Have visions. Be grateful. Be humble. Be enthusiastic, and just give yourself permission to uh, to shine. Every time you have goals, mm -hmm. you'll be surprised the universe moves aside to help you go and get it. But the thing is, the universe needs you to ask for it. It needs your instructions to give you some guidance. And if you're not getting it, it's just because you don't have anywhere to go. Like, so you're just drifting by. And that's uh, some of the things I always uh, finish off on in my seminars, goals, gratitude, visions, and, you know, just the ability to just embrace fear. I think that's really great advice, especially about saying that, you know, enduring your career, you will plateau at some point uh, or yeah. lose enthusiasm or really question yourself, you know, and often when we're doing these podcasts with this kind of advice, we kind of imagine that we're giving it to the newer graduates, the practitioners who are earlier in their career. Sure. But honestly, I, I feel that, you know, I'm in my, what is it, 12th year since graduating Chinese medicine and you know, with, I just want to share something that I find is quite inspirational because yeah, I, I didn't even hit my most difficult plateau challenge until the last couple of years, you know, until after I'd been doing this for 10 years and had been through several cycles of feeling like I'd figured out, you know, my ultimate 
clinical structure, etc. But exactly as you said, I felt a plateau, I'd moved overseas, so there was a gap in which I really got to explore that plateau. <laughs> sure, and, sure. And it was because I'd outgrown my vision of myself within my career. Mm. And that sent me full spectrum, you know, from maybe I should just do something else now, all the way from mm. there through to digging deeper and deeper. And, and it really took me, I would say, 18 months to go through this process. Yes. Um, but what came out on the other side now is this incredible clarity and excitement of what my actual life's work is. That's and awesome. it's within Chinese medicine, and I'm just about to start trying to do that. But I really could have given up seven times before I got to that gold nugget. Yeah, yeah. And and I think it's really important to know if you're at the start of your career or if you've been having 20 years great where you can't imagine plateauing at all, that, you know, it is really possible that at some point in time that um, what used to work for you is not going to be there anymore. And oh. And you need to dig really, really deep into who you are now and what your purpose is now with this um, industry of Chinese medicine. You know, and I just kept finding that I love it so much that I kept digging deeper and deeper to figure out what vision of myself actually it was that I had grown into that I wasn't yet able to articulate. And when I finally was able to articulate it, it was so simple. It's something that's been with me for 20 years. That's amazing. And it normally is actually exactly. with all matters of the heart. It, it normally is very actually simple. It's intuitive. Uh, one, one quick thing is, uh, you know, people say gut feeling, gut instinct. That's actually below the diaphragm. That's not actually your highest purpose. Intuition is above the diaphragm. It's in your heart. So with all matters of the heart, you know your purpose is there. People spend a lifetime saying, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my purpose is. Well, it could be just your destination. You just, just get on track. Take some action, like you said, the you know, your deepest aspect of who you are, it's actually very simple, you know. It's already there. You just have to activate and master that destiny. That's what TCM is all about. Right, absolutely. And I'm a real big believer that, you know, if you're not fully happy with your business or the way you're feeling as a practitioner, um, that you can really continue to fine-tune things and use your skills if you love, you know, if you love uh, the Chinese medicine. Um, to really set things up in a way where you're contributing to the public and to the health and to this industry, really doing what you love during the day. Absolutely. Yeah, you need to start yeah, to you know, also visualise, oh, well, sure, I love Chinese medicine. Like maybe it is that I love the ideas, but maybe I don't enjoy working with clients or something like that. And so you really need to flip your, your thoughts over uh, and and realize that you can actually create a business or a clinic and an environment where your day-to-day -day work is something that you really do, where you're doing what you want to be doing. That's Absolutely, right. yeah. You've got to be you've got to be passionate about it, um, and and that's what's going to get get you out of bed in the morning. That's what's going to get you putting in those long hours. And and I know Sahal and I and and you guys yourself too at the end of a really long day where we're just as energized or even more than than we started because we just absolutely love it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the more of us that get into that, the better it will be for our industry because that some of those statistics that you shared earlier were frightening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Practitioners. Yeah. Well, and I think it's sort of when we said, yeah, when we said like, um, you know, the um, 
5% of practitioners only are investing in their in, in growing their practice. Now, we've just seen that our, our industry seems to just sort of fear marketing and that's and that's maybe because they, you know, all those, the, the older style methods of, of marketing was just to, you know, to keep hounding people and sale, sale, sale. But to, you know, the, the great way of marketing, what we do is to, to get people inspired about having the treatment and, and, um, and then it'll market itself. And, and this is the funny thing. When I first started, uh, doing acupuncture, when I first started practicing, I, I honestly thought it was, one of the hardest businesses to market, um, but now I firmly believe it's one of the easiest to market because it's so easy to inspire your clients or inspire potential clients as, as to what you do, how you can provide that that solution for them. So it's it's just so easy. We've got so many different platforms now that we can use. It's, it's literally unbelievable. Yeah, and you know, there's so many like the barrier to entry to using you know, all different types of technology, you know, that's just so easy for people to get their message out there, you know, whether Absolutely. it's by email or video or social media or, you know, like this, you could even start a podcast if you wanted to. But, um, yes. <laughs> I, you know, I think the idea is to, um, you know, just to be taking some kind of action, you know, what's so Highland and Fiona, what you were both talking about, it reminded me of a um, a really great um, session I had with my business coach a few years ago and um, she occasionally reminds me of it. But, you know, she talks about, um, you know, the story of how we got to the moon. You know, when when human beings were able to get themselves from planet Earth to the moon, like it was a, a, such an amazing feat, you know, it was such an amazing accomplishment mm. and people wow, you know, so great and it involves so much precision and so much engineering and so much maths and science. But in actual fact, like on the journey to the moon, from the Earth to the moon, they were only on track, you know, if you think of, you know, the, the track that they were meant to be following, but they're only on mm. track something like it was less than 5% of the time. Yeah. And the rest of the 95% of the time they were course correcting. So yeah. they were, you know, they were headed in the general direction, but, yeah. you know, they're having to, you know, course correct the whole time. And and I think that if we can think of our careers as practitioners as, you know, it's not that we have to necessarily be on point the whole time and, you know, that we have to be, you know, that we can't change our mind, but it's, um you know, just this idea that, you know, we can reinvent ourselves and we can refresh our approach and, you know, and, and change things up as we go along and that's you know and that's part of the um i think that's part of the the beauty of being you know of being practitioners who you know who do take on board these these ideas of self development and and self reflection and and yes. um you know and looking at ways of being able to interact with our patients better and and mm -hmm. um and create a better dynamic for our patients that you know, it's not a static thing. You know, we're not practicing the same way that we did yeah. 10 years ago. And in 10 years' time, it's going to be totally different again. Exactly. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, being able to adapt to the changes um, as well because there's a lot of changes in the industry and, and techniques and, and things like that. Like you said, keeping keeping our goal that of blood is strong, you know, having the courage, taking action, um, clear decision-making, but, but keeping that end goal in, in mind. Yeah. Fantastic. 
Well, this has been a great episode, so uh, invigorating and inspiring. Um, and I'm sure that some of our listeners will be keen to um, find out more about what both of you are doing. Um, can you just um, just quickly give a rundown of what your um, where our listeners can find more information about? You know, you guys have a website. You've got some seminars coming up. A lot of practitioners are members of our Accu Guys page and on on Facebook, where we again so we post details of our seminars, but we share a lot of. Um, you know, information, techniques, uh, your needling techniques, videos. We uh, practitioners need help with cases. They're free to sort of ask us on that too. So if, you, if you're not on that, just jump onto, yeah, the Accu Guys page on Facebook and, and we'll add you to that page and, and that can be a great resource for you as well and you'll be able to contact us through there as well. And, yeah, the website as well is just BreakthroughPracticeSolutions.com. It says BreakthroughPracticeSolutions.com. But like Hamish said, the Accu Guys page is highly interactive. Um, so it's not, I mean, Hamish and I moderate that, but, um, you know, even other practitioners get in and, you know, ask and answer. And it's very, very engaging. We've done plenty of live videos on that and we always sort of tend to do live videos. So there's kind of a bit of resource mm -hmm. already up there. It's the quickest way probably to um, get um, a hold of us and ask us things. So that, that would probably be the most effective way to do it. Right. Well, we'll link that up in the show notes and, um, and people can and can follow up from there. But thank you both for being on the show. It's been um, it's been great to um, to chat with you both about this great topic. Thank you so yeah, much for having us. Yeah, thanks, Claire and Pete. It's been, been, uh, been awesome. Yeah. We definitely have to get you back to um, to talk more about your acupuncture expertise and also about more about the um, the psycho emotional stuff. Oh, by all means, absolutely. And uh, thank you so much. You guys are doing great stuff yourselves. So it's a, it's a highly successful platform for us to learn. Myself, Hamish, like we said before, we listen to out of the speakers you've had. So it's really good. You guys are doing some inspirational stuff for the um, industry as well. So thank you very much for the time. Yeah, we're looking forward to the conference. It's been very kind to my brain to wake up listening to positive thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go, I can hear my baby crying, he, um, <laughs> it's book time, so. Uh... No, there you go. <laughs> well, thanks so much. Thank you, guys. No worries. Okay. Bye.